Hello and welcome to Liberated Tester podcast. I am really glad to have you here listening to this episode. I am Gunesh Patel and I'm back this week with one more episode filled with software testing insights and the experiences from our guest today. I hope you like the episode and as usual please share the most valuable insight that you got from the episode on any of your socials and tag liberated tester. Without further delay, let's jump into today's episode. Hello and welcome to part 2 of this conversation with Marit. In this episode, Marit is going to tell us about how we can maximize our impact using the productive and generative capabilities. Is your organization preventing you from becoming 10x version of yourself? We will also discuss about 1 2 3 model of test coverage and how to get away from watermelons. Marit will also share a few of her insights about testing dozens an amazing initiative that she has taken up so without further delay let's roll it in so uh, when when you are actually trying to do all these patching together all the people Does that relate to something that you said on a blog where it's the entrepreneurial attitude in testing does it uh, converge with the same thing or is it something different that you meant in that other context uh, I think it's a little bit different so the entrepreneurial attitude is more on the side of like I'm in control of mm-hmm. of my time okay and even when I have an employer mm-hmm. uh it is you know even if I plan to stay there for quite some time Mm. uh they might decide otherwise any moment so i'm always responsible for my own career it's never the the uh the job of of my manager to decide for for me uh my manager probably helps me on mm. that journey yeah. but they are not yeah. doing it as a service my career is mine to do so this entrepreneurial attitude is more on the side of like i'm looking at the impact that i'm making mm. i'm looking at the impact that i want to be making and i am setting the targets for my own career and and making proposals how i could do better than mm-hmm. i'm doing right now mm-hmm. yeah speaking of impact that you said right sometimes it's very hard to visualize that impact of the duty that you're currently doing so let's say you are testing a particular feature but it's very hard to visualize that impact into the actual customer or the actual app so are there any ways where we can simplify that process so that testers also have a motive to do that testing much more efficiently or i would say much more with with a good heart into the actual process so sometimes my best learnings on my impact is when i don't test mm-hmm. and i get feedback from the customers on what did we miss so just volunteering or something else for a while and leaving the team without me is yeah. a great way for measuring the impact that i have created uh-huh. but uh, over time i have kind of like uh, i've personally learned to to uh, like sort of visualize my impact with this kind of like a uh, like a four field model like you have mm-hmm. two dimensions on on one of the dimensions you have well i i use this concept of of you're either productive or you're you're generative So okay. you're productive when you are personally doing something yes. and you're generative when you're inspiring or helping someone else to do something. Mm-hmm. And and 10x developers, 10x testers are usually people who are generative. Yeah. Because there's only a limited amount of time that you can do things yourself. So if right. you can be on the generative side, yeah. 
then probably your impact is bigger. So kind of like thinking in terms of what am I contributing right now, but also what I'm contributing through others, kind of thinking impact in in those two kind of uh, extremes. And then the other part is kind of like today and in the future. Mm -hmm. So like there's the short-term impact and then there's this long-term impact. Like sometimes I like to think that uh, I'm going to leave the team that I'm in right now, you know, in a year, in two years, I'm never there for for good. Like I don't try to find a job where I can stay until I retire. I never do that. That's not how I work. Yeah. So I try to figure out how I can, you know, leave the team better off when I leave. Mm-hmm. And and some of the things is kind of like looking at the the skills growing, you know, on the productive side of the long term side, or uh, managing to avoid some of the mistakes by ensembling right now in the moment that might be on the short term uh, really? uh, generative side. Mm-hmm. Or uh, finding bugs that get fixed or leaving automation behind the dust testing even when I'm gone. That's kind of a long-term impact. So I'm always looking for kind of like I have these four corners and I have a balance of, mm-hmm. of you know, making sure that my impact is all over that map. Even when I'm a manager, I'm not just generative. I am still also productive. Uh, it is just more likely that it's it's uh, tilted towards generative, whereas yeah. an, as an individual contributor... The way uh-huh. that I grow is that I start to find those little things that I can do that make me generative, showing uh, what I did, how I did, sharing with the others, uh, uh, allowing others to criticize my way of doing things mm-hmm. and allowing them to teach me that they have a better way. Yeah. Like, you know, just being brave about showing that I didn't know how to do this, but this is how I did it. This is the best I could do right now. Yeah. Making that yeah. visible, it mm-hmm. has a huge impact on on uh you in the in the future so kind of like all of that learning and and knowledge it mm-hmm. accumulates over time and well that's kind of how i think of it yeah okay so how do you how do you identify these kind of 10x people uh, I believe anyone could be those people. I think mm-hmm. it's just the organizations who take away from people and not yeah. allowing them to grow to that that profile of, of being truly productive. So sometimes people hear that, you know, don't do that now. They hear mm-hmm. it as in like, don't do that ever. Yeah. And, and we start collecting these rules that then become kind of like almost like a preventive in us us doing the best possible work mm-hmm. and i believe that a big part of, of uh, uh, the manager's work is uh, to uh, not create <laughs> these kind of wounds in people that make them them uh, you know less than they were or less yeah. than they could be or actually maybe even healing some of the wounds that they have managed to acquire in this this industry and we have lots of those in testing, like the whole test cases stuff, like, well, don't even get me started. Like <laughs> the first thing that I do when I see 5,000 test cases is throw all of them away and never use them again. So uh, kind of like um, there's so many practices that are based on not really understanding what we're trying to do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But the rule has been that we have to have those or uh we cannot be trusted to work. Like I remember one manager at some point telling me that he thinks testing is such a boring work that he doesn't believe that I'm testing unless I, I will at least tick 20 test cases every single day. And I gave him uh, detailed exploratory testing notes for one week. He uh-huh. couldn't read it, the, the amount of text that I could write in a week. He couldn't read it in the next week. Yeah. There was so much text that I, I had written. And he never again asked me uh, 
any of that level documentation. And now I could only kind of like, you know, write down the things that I thought were valuable and yeah. not everything that I was doing while I was testing. So mm-hmm. I needed to kind of create that trust on, on uh, I actually like this work. I, I, I love this work. This is awesome work. It's, it's the best thing that you could do. <laughs> and uh, it's kind of weird when someone else tells me that I'm not supposed to enjoy the work that I'm enjoying. No, it's always one, once the work becomes passion or the passion is the work, that's when you start enjoying this. And looking at you, it's clearly evident that that's what you do is clearly your passion. Because we were on the organization and the beliefs that they have usually, uh, you have one of the blogs that you have written where you have put it into three cultures of an organization that they have. There is a diagram which says there's a culture gap in between. How do we how do we bridge that culture gap and move to the next level or the next culture in that testing process? I usually draw that picture to uh, try to explain to people that I'm on a different box than they are uh-huh. and uh, them insisting that the things I can do cannot be done means that they have the gap. Uh-huh. And it's not my problem to you know move them from the previous culture to the next culture. Uh, it's just my way of saying that, you know, don't take my advice unless there's, you know, some foundational work. Yeah. I have definitely been moving people between these different levels. So the first level is kind of like very waterfall style where yeah. your testing is in the end. Correct. So figuring out collaboration and continuous contributions is, is kind of how you move the first gap. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, uh, starting to document some way uh, with automation, kind of bringing automation into the picture is uh, one very concrete way of, of uh, getting through the first gap. Uh, then on the middle level, uh, kind of automation exists, but it's automation of whatever the testers are thinking of. Yeah. And uh, there's not really this kind of like co-ownership. And and mm-hmm. uh, uh, usually we talk about the troubles of like our tests take so long to run. And, and and we're just looking for kind of moving manual testers to automated testers. And that gap requires uh, an identity change. I refuse to be a developer. Like I am a programmer. I am a tester. But yeah. I'm, I'm not one of the developers. I am definitely not. I am a tester. Mm-hmm. And if I have to change my identity, my identity is one of a team member. Mm-hmm. But then the developers need to give up on their identity too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And when I'm looking for kind of like an appropriate identity to get to the third level, uh, I've recently come to this conclusion that maybe a rebel is is a good identity, like, you know, uh, being a bit rebellious and and trying to find ways of of breaking the status quo. Mm. So uh, very active collaboration, very uh, closely aligned goals, even though different tasks than the developers and, and a continuous synchronization of the work we're doing mm-hmm. so that, that it's more on a daily scale rather than on a project scale that we agree the work that we are doing. We are not a separate group, but we are in the same team. That's kind of how you you get there. But again, also shorter releases. So it's mm-hmm. it's all comes back to this, this whole idea of the way you manage testing uh, kind of matters what kind of a box you are creating. Yeah. And uh, the box that I'm now creating on this this uh, third level is one where, uh, as a manager, it became impossible for me to find a tester into my team. And we decided that we are no longer taking a tester because uh, being stuck on the earlier levels and not being able to imagine 
or even wanting to kind of take the the next step mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. it's probably easier to retrain a new uh, newbie new into being yeah. the new kind of a tester than some of the people with the the experience yeah i think and uh, helping their thought process change is much more easier than someone who is like 5 6 years in the in the job and they have they have their own bias they have their own uh, way of thinking so it's much harder to change that perspective than having a newbie do the same thing so i think probably a newbie will learn faster than the person who already has the bias right yeah and again there's so many different kinds of people that i would still like to believe there's also people who mm-hmm. are capable of moving between these two things but uh, the whole kind of like uh, split between people who do manual testing and people who do automation yeah uh, it is still so ingrained in so many people that either you are you know you are you know creating way for one or you're creating way for the other and you don't want to watch uh, kind of both di- directions yes, uh, yes with a short cycle like you can't do them at the same time but you can split kind of like half a day half a day half a day yeah. half a day yeah. so again creating those kind of like faster cycles is mm a mechanism of moving into a more modernized way of testing correct and when when we want to look on the both sides of that right a manual as well as automation there is still there's still a lot of i would say skills gap between people even if they want to do it on both the sides they still lack those kind of characteristics which are needed on both sides but are there any other ways maybe slightly easier ways like off the desk they could invest some time and then just do it usually not having to be alone on that journey uh either one of those journeys of growing yeah. is is a nice way of doing things so a lot of times i work with developers they know how to code yeah they know how to test too but they somehow need to look into my eyes <laughs> and and look at me and say oh you'd want me to click here oh you'd want me to do this and then only they do the right things yeah and sometimes they haven't kind of like seen the models of of what are people like me expecting them to do uh-huh so kind of like you know being along for that ride of learning how to test mm-hmm. is sometimes necessary with the people who know how to program and uh, actually not knowing how to test is uh, usually something i find nowadays that programmers are really good at testing it's yeah. just the automation testers don't know how to test <laughs> so we kind of like we get the second class of programmers who don't know how to program kind of in in a grander scale yeah but they also yeah. don't know how to test because they needed to simplify things so that they can take a very small slice of of a particular domain of programming so yeah. that they do test automation related mm-hmm. things and i don't think there's necessarily seniority always in in that space. Yes. They could it. be but it often mm-hmm. doesn't actually appear in the in the level that I'd like. I know yeah. some people who are really senior but a lot of people are actually kind of like thinking of it as kind of just the label is 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 changing the mm-hmm. the uh, the work. But also on the on the the functional tester side where they maybe didn't take the time to learn the automation side. Yeah. It's again yeah. it's small slices of things you can introduce and you can walk through kind of like how do you create the basic script to run something on a UI level? How mm. do you look at an API and how do you send values to an API? How do you take a unit test that somebody else already wrote for you and yeah. just vary the parameters? Like you don't Correct. have to write anything new, just play with the data. 
like introducing these these kind of entry points for those people and giving them the experiences they can grow it's again you know anyone can grow and probably we need to all grow to some direction so it's not kind of like you know choosing this or that but it's Mm -hmm. all of us need to be sharing some of the skills uh, with the other ones in our teams yeah yeah yeah, the thing that you said about automation testing, really, <laughs> yeah, I have seen people like that. So it really, I did find it very amusing because I have firsthand experience of that thing that automation testers, sometimes they don't know how to test things. They just, they just want to write code. They don't want, they don't want to test or they don't want to do, do anything else. But that's fine yeah. as long as it is understood. And yeah, as long yeah. as it's how we agreed to share the work in our teams. Mm. But if we think that's all of the things we're doing in that team and all of the testing that needs to get done, then probably it's no longer okay. So yeah. all of us were, you know, junior and new to some tasks at some point of our careers. And in 25 years, I have had this chance of sampling kind of, you know, all around the cake and, and, and probably on a neighbor's cake too. Uh, but if you have only two years, you're probably your coverage of the world is going to be smaller. Yes. So it's fine to narrow down your coverage, but it's also mm. good to understand that there's plenty of coverage. Like I'm not done after 25 years. It's not like I know everything about testing. There's plenty to learn and there's always yeah. new things coming in. So, so kind of like we try to have a team where the coverage is on a team level rather than on a single individual. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this particular attitude that you have, that you still have a lot of things to learn, right? I I have seen it missing in a couple of people when they, when people are like four, five, six, seven, eight years of experience, they're like, oh, I know everything about this. And then this is the way it is going to be. And it's it's kind of very fixed mindset that people came, uh, like come, come up with, right? And like you said, the growth mindset or things that you have to, utilize everything that you have and then learn through that is very crucial which is which was a very crucial point that you said yeah and this whole kind of like reading about growth mindset and starting to pay attention on on how you talk to yourself yeah there's so much insight on on uh, kind of how humans operate mm. and how each one of us operates yes that uh I think there's kind of like a lifetime of of, uh, uh, exploration Mm. into how we respond to certain kind of stimuli and and how do we think and how we can change the way we think and what kind of constraints we can inject on ourselves so that we get kind of like stronger or different kind of uh, thinking out of ourselves. And my absolute favorite is, is kind of like doing a lot of things in public. Like you've probably seen me online, like you've already referenced many of my posts on on and and kind of like allowing people to see my thinking it's a way for uh me to also kind of like you know uh, try to be more clear on how i think so i do it for myself i don't tell you actually that i tell it to myself yeah, and writing yeah. is just a means of, of me telling myself something and i make public notes because uh there's always a chance that you know someone might uh, tell me that they have a better idea uh Eric. Or they have a new idea on, on the same topic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sharing sharing or do it in public. They also say, right, that announce whatever you want to do in public and then you will find yourself accountable so that, oh, I've, I've 
committed to this in public and then i have to do it so that's also sometimes it works uh, for some people for me it works more in terms of doing some affirmations uh, about yourself or doing some self talk also helps me and myself personally i don't believe personally uh, necessarily on, on announcing that i have a plan of doing something that's uh-huh. usually creating stress for me rather than accountability so there's a lot of kind of personality related aspects to that yeah. Yeah. but uh, sharing what i have created uh, mm. in small chunks mm. kind of like creating this continuous stream of little things that i'm working on uh, uh, there's a different level of accountability on on this kind of like a stream of of water that is you're creating and kind of like making available yes, or yes. well it might be value or insight or whatever you're creating as a stream or it might just be you know a view into whatever is in your head <laughs> <laughs> no matter how bad it is yeah 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 i mean uh, like right you said right uh, it it also depends on the personality or the the way you are comfortable about sharing it in public and uh, those things also depend on the route that you want to take so it's not one size fits all is not always there so it's always going to be some variation for personal on the personal levels you you are a big proponent of exploratory testing exploratory testing and uh, code coverage or test coverage so when you're doing this exploratory testing how how can we make sure that we have enough test coverage that is coming out of this initial phase so that we are covered for the next phases which are coming and you also discussed 1 2 3 model of test coverage right so does that fit in with the exploratory type of testing that we're doing or is it related to something else it's definitely related to the exploratory style of testing mm-hmm. so again kind of for me uh, i think to some extent everything that i do in testing is exploratory mm. except that the organization sometimes put me in a box which makes me do not exploratory testing and mm-hmm. that's a different you know difficult dynamic to talk about yeah. so there's this this whole concept of uh, uh, expectations mm-hmm. but for coverage um uh when i uh kind of explore from a user interface level yeah. i can't see really code coverage in the mm-hmm. same way the code coverage isn't available to me but uh i usually look at test coverage not just from my actions but across the whole team's actions mm-hmm. and code coverage is giving me the baseline of this is what the the developers in the team are already doing yeah and it's giving me also an idea of Uh, does it still exist or do i need to worry about it going away mm. like are we getting better are we getting worse so code coverage is kind of like a foundation that i build on mm. Mm. so i follow that uh, and you have you know tools for unit testing uh, yeah. to see yeah. code coverage then uh, the next level is is really on kind of like the the uh, uh, well the results related uh, things kind of like the risks Uh, because we basically what we do in testing is like we have this empty A4 paper, and yeah. we're supposed to list all the bugs, but mm. no one can give you a list of all the bugs. So you'd want to kind of you know your coverage that you want is I have found all of these, but it's an empty list, so so you can't really measure that coverage. But that's kind of like a mindset that you're going to. Yeah. So uh, instead, what we're usually using is some kind of claims. Like you collect some claims of you know it might be that we don't have this problem or it might be that we have this requirement so mm. you kind of collect those type of things and usually then the the third level where you have a lot of of details that you can look at yeah 
is uh, well environments, uh, specific kind of claims, risk lists, uh, you know whatever list that gives you a a dimension that you you find uh, relevant. So mm-hmm. that's how I kind of like go from uh, one, two, and three. Like the results is with the one that matters really. Yeah. Uh, code coverage and requirements give me the second level of understanding. And mm-hmm. then I still actually want to have kind of like additional perspectives. Like, for example, uh, thinking in terms of time, yeah. I, I had just a bug fixed where it took us a month to just let it run alone without mm-hmm. no one rebooting it so that we would yeah. know that the bug, which was related to memory leaks, had mm-hmm. actually gone away. So it, you needed to have no reboots. So so kind of like thinking in, in different perspectives, you usually use some kind of checklists yes. to remember that stuff. So I had the checklist on my, my third level. Yeah, it sounds very um, exhaustive level of thought process where you'll not miss anything for sure is what I think uh, because you're covering the unit testing, you're covering the requirements, you're also covering your basis on the checklist. The only thing is sometimes when you are when you have these code coverage numbers, right? It, the unit test coverage may not give you the right numbers every time. I mean, even if they say that they have like 85% or 90% coverage of the code that they're running, you would still end up uh, having bugs when they integrate it together. To educate developers in a, in a sense that how they can model their test or how they can design their test. Is there any specific technique that you follow for guiding them or teaching them on the coverage or, or increasing the unit test coverage? So again, usually it's more on the side of um, kind of like giving boxes that need to be filled with with automatic automatic tests of some sort mm-hmm. or program mm-hmm. tests. That's what I want to call them. They are not automatic because okay. there's always yeah. a human looking at them whenever they're failing. So they're not very automatic in that sense. Yes, and they need to be grown by people. So they are just program tests. Yeah. So um, uh, I have kind of like. Well, I have a front end and back end. So I have front end and back end unit tests, and I have coverage for those. Mm-hmm. Then I have uh, something that is what we call usually integration tests, which means that it's not really end to end, but it's from some end to some end. And, okay. and there's a lot of variation in my system on mm. from where we inject things and from where we are going to look at things. Yes. So, yes. so kind of like, you know, some kind of, of flows, like mini flows within mm-hmm. the, the system. And you don't yeah. see code coverage for those. So yeah. when the code coverage is lower, we usually have a conversation on like, are we addressing this on a different level? Mm. And then we usually have, uh, uh, on top of that, we have what developers in my team like to call end-to-end tests, which okay. are halfway tests to me. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, there's actually still end-to-end tests, which is mm-hmm. multiple you know, integrated systems, yeah. which is yeah. the user's end-to-end. But kind of like having these boxes and giving them whatever labels uh, that are helpful for you, you to have those conversations. That's mm-hmm. usually the, the way that I, I go around all of this. And again, a lot of times developers are told that since we have testers, they don't have to do testing. So that's why they don't have unit tests. Yeah. And, and then changing that is something that you need to then negotiate with whoever gave them that bad advice. Yes. And it yeah. is generally bad advice to not allow yes. them them the time to kind of make sure that whatever they build, their intent is somehow captured. Hmm. Correct, correct. And uh, when you mentioned about unit testing part and then uh, letting them do, you mentioned those two variants of end-to-end. 
and i know you don't want me to get started on test case numbers and stuff but in terms of end to end scenarios what is the typical ratio that you would see on having an end to end scenario and having uh, either system integration or component integration tests that you run on a system it depends so hugely on the team that i i work with so i can you know take a look at some of the numbers with my current team now and again mm-hmm. this is a team where i've been involved in the team uh, since the beginning and i'm just looking at some numbers of the last year on on kind of how the the test coverage for example evolved so uh we have uh, back end unit tests uh, early last year we had 50% coverage and okay. currently we have 81% coverage there okay. and we have uh, uh 900 uh, 200 uh, 9, 922 of them and okay. our total number of test cases is 1250 i just checked that a couple of mm-hmm. days ago so i remember that that's okay. still okay. so uh-huh. most of our tests are actually on the unit level so there was also the the front end side uh, that has i'm just looking at the numbers here uh, 137 front end unit tests so uh, very much okay. smaller numbers of test cases on the higher integration or even the the end to end level that mm-hmm. my team uses mm-hmm. yeah and the kind of data that you're collecting which is very evident from the numbers that you're telling it is also a very key component in your decision making is is what i feel because unless you have that data to base it on you won't be in a position to make that kind of statement where you say oh 70% came and then those could have been avoided by unit testing so you need to have that data on hand as well which is very key i guess and i also of course like when i collect the data it also allows me to check not just the numbers but also that the state of the tests is not what i call watermelon state <laughs> green on the outside red on the inside yeah and and for the last year that's been one of the things that we've been needing to learn as a team that sometimes you know we get lovely numbers but it is actually uh, green on the outside and red on the inside so so uh, we need to yeah. get away from watermelons correct i think uh, it is going to be our focus this year uh, because now that we are in a state where everything is passing so we need to relook at the tastes and see what's really happening down below so yeah tell us more about what testing doesn't is because people out there might not know and um, how it came into being and what is your vision for testing does i wanted to do something where i can leave behind people i want to hire like mm-hmm. i was trying to hire a tester last year last summer and uh, i interviewed more than dozen people and ended up saying that no we're not hiring a tester i didn't find anyone i was willing to hire yeah and of course there's this whole aspect of of no relocation so it kind mm-hmm. of also limits my my abilities of of what what or from where i can take people yeah so um i decided that i'm going to train the people that i would hire in a moment and uh-huh. i started uh, in the autumn time i started a thing i called testing doesn't 12 people Mm-hmm. who have never done testing before mm-hmm. necessarily like like you know they want to uh, learn to do testing but haven't done that uh, uh, professionally at least yeah and then uh, once a week i spend 2 hours with them teaching them testing okay. uh, in a hands on style so i'm not showing them slides like all yeah. the 
kind of slide material that we create, it's out of an experience that I'm then explaining them what mm-hmm. just happened and what's the model behind what we just did. But it's yeah. all kind of like going from uh, let's take an application and and reveal all of the bugs, kind of like, you know, I, I might have a, a full list of bugs that I expect us to find and we can mm-hmm. compare our results against it that okay. or it might be around teaching them automation i'm teaching them usually python and and pytest in this okay. course yeah uh, but particularly i'm teaching them testing uh, on a ah. user interface level on an api level on a unit level okay all mm-hmm. of the different levels mm-hmm. and i've been now doing this for i think nine sessions so far so 18 hours and yeah. at some point i started kind of collecting on on the you know the numbers of how much time are we using on each of the concepts yeah, because when you're teaching people also programming while you're teaching them testing, it's actually time away from teaching them testing when you teach them basics of of how do you run a program. Yeah, and yeah. And, and this whole kind of balance of making my choices of how do we spend the little time that we mm. have over six months, it's been really fascinating. So that's mm. what I I've been now sharing on in in LinkedIn. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a very interesting project that you're doing, and I think is this your first batch onto this? This is the first batch, yes. Mm-hmm. And I already have actually some companies in Finland who are saying that when they are ready from me, mm-hmm. uh, they have a job waiting for them. Mm-hmm. So uh, I would, uh, well, at least the feedback for me has been that I'm not the only one who fails at recruiting the kind of testers we are looking for. Yeah. And uh, while, you know, I'm not necessarily just you know, creating these people for myself. I'm creating them for the local Finnish community to have have better people available or more people, more good people available mm-hmm. so that we don't have to just, you know, ping pong uh, me from project <laughs> to another, for example. Yeah. It just doesn't yeah. work. That's not possible. We need to scale. Then uh, I have also some other companies who are kind of like, you know, waiting for them to be ready so that they can uh, then offer uh, mm-hmm. a future career for those people. Mm-hmm. That's really awesome work that you're doing. Uh, really, really hats, hats off to you. So for the next batch, is it going to be like an application process or something that you have in mind? or <laughs> Because people listening, they might be interested in this. And then we want to let them know that they have opportunity to learn with you alongside. So is there going to be an application process? Do you have anything in mind like that? The current batch uh, is still going on for uh, until April, May timeframe. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think it's April, end of April, somewhere there. It's it's ending the first batch, mm-hmm. and then I'm probably going to open only the next next one, uh, kind of like for the autumn time, so that I'm going to take a summer break and just you know rest and not have a weekly yeah. hobby to to teach people. Yeah. Uh, but also uh, the groups that I'm I'm looking for this, uh, I've been trying to now kind of like you know say that I want to turn a little bit within and and look at people who are in Finland. Mm-hmm. So I have people who are already relocated to Finland yeah. and I have people who have been kind of born to Finland originally, mm-hmm. but I've been trying to not do this particular thing for the kind of the entire global community. Uh, there was uh, a lovely uh, gentleman from from India who reminded me on on the number of population in, in, <laughs> in, in that particular geography and say yeah. that I need to be a little careful on what I promised there. So yes. a single person can only do so much. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what I was actually getting to because if you if you open it uh, globally, then maybe uh, we might need you to open a lot of branches all across <laughs> the globe and then drive this to that. Yeah, 
in in your uh, this um, mentoring teaching process has there been any part of the certification that you did the bbst or any other courses that you did have they have they have like a significant impact on your way of teaching or training i've been trained myself kind of uh with uh kim kaner's materials online over the years mm-hmm. uh when i started researching testing 1999 something of that sort i don't remember exactly when Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, that's the time when I was reading Kem Kaner's uh, testing computer software, and that's been kind of the go-to book that I have grown with into testing. Mm-hmm. And uh, the BBST courses that Kem Kaner then later created, they've been kind of my go-to place to send people to. Yeah. Uh, but uh, they're also very heavy in the sense that there are it takes a lot of effort to mm-hmm. to do them. And uh, even with uh, a lot of the the effort, it is still kind of like a, it's it's good foundational theory, it's mm-hmm. it's good vocabulary, it's good uh, understanding of all the things we talk about in the testing community. But there's very yeah. little hands-on practice. Mm-hmm. So what really uh, has become my go-to way is saying uh, the best of theory go to BBSD learn the strong foundation from what Kem Gainer uh, is teaching on video and for learning the hands-on stuff and applying that uh, with real uh, sample applications and for uh, including automation in that process. uh, That's probably where I would spend time with with people on on teaching that. So I've been doing like 99-minute sessions uh, for various people online. I've been doing this testing dozen thing mm. and it's mostly limited on on the time that I have available, which is of yeah. course always very yeah. limited. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's very nice to know about the work that you're doing. And I obviously wish you luck in the process. Again, like I said, all these mentors, coaches that I meet, I always tell them this is a very noble thing that you're doing. God is going to bless you for this. <laughs> Whatever you're doing is going to uh, impact a lot of people. And thank you for this. Well, I think in, in our uh, context, this is this is what I wanted to cover in terms of our conversation and i i really enjoyed this discussion it was really amazing to having to chat with you and thank you so much for your time and staying late again looking forward to all your enlightening posts that you always are there on linkedin and your blog as well yeah. and again i am in a lot of different channels so i i write my public notes on mastodon mm-hmm. so that's where you get kind of the the most detailed versions of what I'm thinking and working through. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then I write uh, usually kind of summary posts on LinkedIn. That's what you usually see. Yes. And then I write, if I want to kind of like turn it into a proper writing, an article, then I write a blog on that. Mm -hmm. And uh, if I ever get to a point where I kind of put things together, then I have exploratorytestingacademy.com where I collect whole courses mm-hmm. where where kind of like a certain application and how would you go about testing is is giving people kind of guidance on the theory and the and the practice. And hopefully, you know, someone could do those without me being present everywhere because I just can't scale myself yeah. everywhere. <laughs> yeah. 
Ned, again, thanks for doing this for the community. Thank you for all your contributions. We wish to see you for another 25 years working uh, what you love. Thank you again for your time today. I really appreciate it. You're taking time out uh, from your schedule and talking to me uh, on this podcast. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in today. I hope you found it useful. If you did learn something new today, please follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, and also share, rate, subscribe to the podcast so that you get the notifications for the new episodes as and when they're launched. Thank you for being here. It really means a lot to me. Until we meet again, it's a goodbye from my side. Take care and be in great health. Thank you.